Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hi, this is Billy Tarasio with the Modern Divorce Podcast, joined again by one of my repeat and favorite guests, Ryan Claridge. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. Always, always. So, so Ryan had an idea for our podcast this week to talk about DUIs and the impact that DUIs have in family court. And it's such a good idea because it comes up so often. And depending on the circumstances, it can either mean nothing or it can mean everything. So Ryan, where should we start? Beginning is always a great place to start. A lot of people, when they are going through a divorce, um, they do have, you know, other tangential things going on in their life or their past. And sometimes that is a DUI, or sometimes they're concerned that the other party has a DUI or had a DUI recently. So we want to talk about, you know, when a DUI is can be very impactful in your case, and then when it might not be. And then just general advice on you know, how to behave in general during your divorce and how catastrophic it might be. If you get a DUI during your divorce process and some of the consequences there, and even in absence of a DUI, what you might be able to do to keep your children if you have reason to believe the other party is abusing alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's start with this. If you come into my office and you say the other party has a DUI, it's not a smoking gun. The first question I have for you is, or if you say to me, Billy, I got a DUI, what's this going to do to my case? If you are getting a divorce and there's no children involved, then the DUI usually doesn't have any impact, except you've got a case right now, Ryan, where one of the opposing parties is saying she needs spousal maintenance because she's a, she's an alcoholic and can't work. Right. 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 And that, in that case, that case does involve she did not get an interlock device on her car because all of her parenting time is going to be supervised. But the supposing party agreed to kind of a ramp up parenting plan. And she agreed to something called sober link testing. And essentially, the longer she tests clean, abstains from alcohol, the more parenting time she gets. So presumably, she would be on a path to being more stable and being able to see the children without supervision. She also claimed that because she was such a drunk, she wouldn't be able to find a job. So she needed spousal maintenance. So that's that's where that kind of factored in. The courts do take, you know, alcoholism as like a serious disease. So that's something to think about as well. But as you said, the cases that don't involve children, generally, you know, any kind of criminal conduct, anything that makes you look bad around the time of your case you know, can be used against you. So if your judgment is that issue, is that issue, if you're, you know, if you have a 50, 50 issue, the judge might think, well, both sides have pretty reasonable arguments, but one side just got arrested for a DUI. So they might, you know, they might rule against you there. 
that that could be rare, but you know, your whole life is kind of on trial when you're going through the litigation process. So it's never a good idea to get a DUI, but it could be very, very bad if you get one during your during or around the time of your divorce as well. Yeah. I would say. And unfortunately that happens with a certain amount of frequency. And it's it's you know, it's either a catalyst that causes somebody to file for divorce or the trauma of divorce causes people to make bad decisions and get a DUI. It happens a lot. And the statute says, if you've gotten a DUI within the last 12 months, or if you've been convicted of a drug offense within the last 12 months, there is a presumption that you should not be awarded sole legal decision-making or joint legal decision-making. Now that does not mean that that presumption can't be overcome, but your, your starting point is not equal anymore. Right. And talk a little bit about it just now, but if you did have a DUI recently or your soon to be ex-spouse did, or the other parent of your children, you may have heard of something called Soberlink. Mm. So if you have a history of drinking and driving or drinking at all, if you have a history of drinking and driving, before we get into Soberlink, one thing the other party can ask for, or you can ask for, is to have an inter- ignition interlock device placed into the car, right? So that way the court knows, all third parties know, the parents know that presumably before you get in the car to drive your children or pick up your children, every time you get in the car, you have to blow clean, right? Those can be ordered a criminal case as part of your probation UI. Or you can just, you know, be asked to get one by a family judge or, or, or by agreement. So if you've had a DUI recently, this is something that, you know, you might be looking at. And there's a pretty significant cost to that. I believe you rent the machine and you pay like a monthly, a monthly fee. Have you ever had a client have to do that, Billy? Yes, I have. And I've also represented clients where I've asked that the other party use Soberlink or an interlocket device. And so we should talk about the difference between that. So there are a few dangers when a parent is abusing alcohol. One, of course, is drinking and driving. The other is abuse and neglect while you're drunk. And so the interlock device is great because it can prevent you from drinking and driving. The Soberlink ensures that you are sober while you have your children during your parenting time. And this can be a way to overcome that presumption. So if the court has to decide that the presumption applies and let's say dad's the alcoholic and mom then has a presumption for getting sole legal decision-making and there's a presumption against dad for joint legal decision-making, he may be able to overcome that by saying, look, this was an isolated incident. I'm in treatment, I'm sober and I'm willing to use Soberlink. When you go above and beyond that can be enough to get to get over the presumption against you. Right. So a lot of times you'll see on a temporary basis, temporary orders basis, you know, the party who is being has a recent DUI or is being accused of being alcoholic will do Soberlink. And what Soberlink is, it's a breathalyzer essentially that you have at home it's a device. Again, you rent it, you pay per month, and you turn the device at the end of the period. Usually. You have to blow into it before, during, and immediately after your parenting time, right? So, and the other party or their attorney gets pretty much real-time results. So that is a very effective way to keep your trying to exonerate yourself or if you have concerns to have it monitored. There's very few false positives, but if there is a, if there is a you know problem with the machine, you know, 
you can reset it or you can go get you know a test somewhere else but it's very 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 convenient it doesn't rely on the, the parties having to go to a, a testing site or doing a urine test or a blood test or anything it's designed to be produced absent a dui and absent really really objective evidence if you're asking the other party to do alcohol testing then usually you know most skilled attorneys will say well then you do as well or they'll say um, sure, my client will do the testing, but if, but if he or she is clean, you have to pay for it. So alcohol is not illegal. Drinking is not illegal. Drinking and driving is illegal, but drinking socially, drinking around your kids to a certain extent is, is not illegal. So if you are going to make the allegation that your partner is your ex-partner is drunk, is drinking too much, then be prepared to also sign up for some sort of alcohol testing. Yeah. And and it's it's almost always mutual. And unsubstantiated allegations rarely go anywhere in Arizona family court. Like in Arizona family court, if I have a client come to me and say, you know, I, I think he's going to be dangerous because he has unprocessed trauma, or I think he's going to be, I think he might make bad decisions because he's never watched the kids alone before. That is so speculative that you are very unlikely to get traction. Now let's talk about the different types of alcohol testing because before Soberlink, which I agree is like the most, it's such a wonderful technology. People had to go, first of all, people were ordered to abstain from alcohol all the time. And we know with true alcoholics, just how hard and dangerous even that can be. And so they had to go somewhere, leave work, go pee in front of an individual at a facility and pay for it. Humiliating, invasive, just a pretty awful situation. Soberlink allows you in the privacy of your home to abstain from alcohol during the time periods that you have your children. It's much less invasive. And so if you are faced with that, if you if you are on the fence and if there is some evidence against you, let's say several DUIs or pictures of you passed out with the kids, you are probably better off or might be better off agreeing to use Soberlink for a period of time. Judges rarely keep it in place long-term. Usually after a certain amount of time with no mess-ups, it's gone. And then, you know, also in addition to being less invasive, right, the results go directly to the other party. So say you're concerned, instead of going to the testing center and then posted to the judge and then it's online. So say your pickup time is, you know, you're going to drop the kids off like Friday at 4 p.m. and you get to make a missed test from the other party at like 3 p.m. Well, then you don't have to get in the car. Mm-hmm. Because usually what happens is if you have a missed test, you have to show either Sometimes it's a week of clean tests. Sometimes it's 48 hours of clean tests, but it just happens automatically. And there's really no need for court involvement. The only time that, you know, court, the court has to get involved if there's something really, really rare, like an error with the machine, but it's just a lot faster. And it really, although it might seem like this device is in your house, you know, it's much more personal. It might seem a little bit more invasive. If you use it correctly, it's actually not. Right. I don't believe the judges get a copy of, of the, the records, just the other party. Right. Obviously, the other party is going to turn you in if you fail right. a test, but it really gives the user a lot of autonomy. The other thing is with an interlock device on a car, we've all heard the stories of the person who's supposed to be blowing doesn't blow and has 
you know, the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the kid blow. And that goes away with Soberlink because you blow, it attaches to your phone and the phone takes a picture of you while you're blowing. It's really cool technology. Now that doesn't help if we've got somebody who's not an alcoholic, but they're still addicted to drugs, or they may have gotten a DUI for something, even prescription drugs that are legal, you can still get a DUI. So does the court treat alcohol DUIs the same as drug or prescription drug DUIs? Yes, they do. Although, you know, alcohol is probably, you know, the oldest and most commonly consumed drug, right? So the testing for it, the case law on it, and just everyone's experience on it is the same. Like, I mean, yes, they are sober as a judge, but I'm going to bet that every judge in Maricopa County has been drunk before. I'm going to guess that every judge in Maricopa County has. (laughs) We have some LDS (laughs) judges. Or, or, Or they're at least familiar with the effects of alcohol. Most judges probably haven't gotten high out of their minds on, on marijuana. I'm sure very few of them have done heroin or, or other drugs, right? And then when you're talking about prescription drug use, the great thing about alcohol is that whether, whether fair or not, everyone seems to know that 0.08 is inebriated, can't, can't drive, right? We don't know how much hydroxycodone or you know whatever in your system is is impairment. So a lot of times when you're accused of a DUI for prescription drugs, then what you can expect is that your every time you get a prescription drug, even if you go to a different state or zone, it keeps a record of it. Mm-hmm. So if it shows that you're doctor shopping, if it shows that you have conflicting prescriptions, that that's going to be a problem for you. And you, you might be ordered to do drug testing. You might everything might show up as perfectly legal on its own, but maybe not in the combination of. So, and then again, the experts, the case law and the judge's own experience on, you know, more nuanced narcotics and prescription drugs is just not as comprehensive as it is alcohol. So a judge can get really easily confused. You can be on a bunch of prescriptions that are perfectly legal, but trying to explain that to the judge after having DUI, you know, they might order you to, you know, get all your prescriptions renewed, go to drug counseling. And figure out what you absolutely need. And, you know, any levels of those types of abuses showing up could be very problematic. I agree with you. In some ways, they can, they can either be, it can either be more or less problematic. If you are, if you were taking, you know, a sleeping pill for the first time and had a bad reaction and now you're not taking it anymore, that's fairly easy for us to explain away and the issues resolved. If you're being accused of being a drug addict who is also prescribed medication, Judges are in a really tough position because many of them are are severely concerned, especially when you bring up opioids like fentanyl. Judges can be extremely concerned and their only remedy there because there is no sober link is you test clean or you don't get your kids. Right. Or or you test clean or all your parenting time is supervised. You're not allowed to drive with your kids because the judges are just going to be as safe as possible. So I would say the more more complicated the drug and anything beyond alcohol is comp- is confusing to judges i think the harder it might be to get out of that situation absolutely and and you know proactively speaking if you can bring us or your attorneys or if you're representing yourself all of the prescription records if you can show i've used one doctor i'm i'm renewing my my 
prescription on a monthly basis. I'm not using more than was prescribed. You're going to have a much better time than, than the many people who are struggling with opioid addiction and do have multiple doctors and kind of a, a, a rough history. It's very, it's very hard for them without being clean to truly do well and explain their situation in family court. Right. And then if you had DUI or you're being accused of alcoholism and you know the other party is saying you're at risk, understand that that is not enough to take away your parenting time. And the court is not punishing you. The court is giving you a chance to prove that you care more about your kids than you do about drinking or you know that you can drink responsibly because you know what the court doesn't want is your kids to get hurt in an accident. And what the court also doesn't want is you to not be involved in the kid's life, either because something happened to you or you chose drinking over, over your children. So yes, it can be invasive. Yes, it can, it can be a pain in the butt. And maybe your ex is just doing it to be spiteful. But if you can think about, you know, if you do this, blow into this device for a certain amount of time and you kind of change your drinking habits, then the court, if that's the only thing potentially wrong with your parenting, then fantastic, because that's very, very fixable. I think this is super timely because I think right now we're seeing more cases involving addiction and alcohol addiction than we have in the past. And I don't know if it's pandemic related, but it seems like many, many parents out there are, are really actually struggling and relapsing. And I know you are seeing this in some of your cases. When is it working out and when is it not? Anything to glean from those experiences? I mean, working out is kind of a loaded question, right? So I have a couple of cases now where the parties are both accusing each other of, you know, not being responsible for their drinking. So they're doing soberly on a temporary basis. And, you know, the judge very pragmatically said, you know, do this for until further order of the court, but please do this, please do this successfully. So the state doesn't have to be involved in your drinking habits, essentially, and you can raise your kids together. So that, that's good, right? We're going to have two parents that are going to, you know, show that they're minimally responsible. They'll be able to have an ordinary parenting time schedule. So that's working out. The other case that's working out is I have an opposing party who um, has failed to sign up for Soberlink a few times. She's failed to test cleanly when she is on it. So that's working out too, because those kids are safe. Uh, they're not, they're not in mother's care where she's passing out and they're not, you know, driving with her. So that, that's a tragic outcome. These kids are separated from their mother, but they're safe. Yeah. So if you are struggling, it is better to not try and cheat the family court system, better to actually figure out how to get whatever treatment you need to be safe for your kids. And that's what you're going to hear from us as your family law attorney. We're going to recommend that you make different choices or different arrangements to make sure your kids are safe, because that's what allows us to best advocate for you. Absolutely. It's kind of a tough message, though. Many of our clients want us to kind of make it go away, and we can't necessarily do that. Right. We can't We can't make a DUI donation go away, but you know, we can show you the tools that you can use to demonstrate to the to the other party and to the court that you're no longer a danger, or maybe you are a danger. So you might have sober link for a long time. And as long as you accept that you're not going to have your kids when you're using, then your kids are safe. I want to change directions for just a minute. If someone's ex gets a DUI, what should they do? 
This is after uh, a divorce is entered. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So I would say if you know if your ex has a history of drinking, I would definitely, <clears throat> and you have the DUI, like they're fairly public once you get one. I would recommend withholding the children and filing an emergency without notice for temporary custody and, you know, allow the other party time to essentially prove themselves, prove that there was one time incident or you know, just where they are in their life and maybe that have to sign for social link or something. So that is definitely enough to file an emergency. And I don't think any police officer or any family court judge is going to stop you from withholding your children if you just learned about that. Now, if you hear about DUI in November and you decide to start withholding the kids, you know, the the following July, then you might be, then you've already, you know, kind of undercut your own claims there. But I would say as soon as you hear about it, you need to file something. Yeah, this is, this is such a fact specific situation. We, we had one situation where a, a client of ours at one point had her children returned to her and they were being driven drunk, not by their parent, but by their parent's girlfriend. And one of the things that she should have done immediately was call the police and report the crime. So if you know about a crime very close, you know, so there was no DUI there, but there was evidence. So we filed an emergency and luckily there was enough evidence to get the emergency. But one of the things you want to think about when you are protecting your children is what evidence exists to prove what I know. And you don't really want to rely just on my kids told me X. So whenever possible, right. you, you, you know, under that circumstance, she really should have called the police and reported the crime. Even if they, the police then went to interview, you know, the, the other parents, you've got a record of what happened. So you really want to figure out as much as you possibly can, what are the circumstances surrounding the DUI? What was the timing? How much danger are my kids in? And then, you know, you're determining, am I withholding? Am I filing? And and two attorneys and two judges might give you different answers, but I think your judgment's spot on. Exactly. Again, don't use what your kids told you. Don't use what the neighbor told you. You know, try and get the police report. Try and talk to your ex about it. And these things are readily available online almost instantly after the arrest. So I agree. And I think gathering police reports and medical records as you go is a good idea, especially if there's a history. When you go in and you say this is the third DUI, it means something different than, you know, I got pulled over for the first time and was just over the limit and I made a mistake. It's a different story. Absolutely. Any other final parting words for people on DUIs, addiction? I mean, besides the consequences it would have in your family law case or, or your life in general, just don't drink and drive. It's incredibly easy to not not drink and drive. You know, we, we're doing this the same week that the player on the Raiders, who lost a friend in a drunk driving accident, apparently, his airbag is deployed at 129 miles per hour, per hour mm-hmm. killed a 23-year-old woman and her dog. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are... You know, like his children's lives, his wife's lives, that family, that dog, like all those lives changed forever because he couldn't call an Uber or couldn't call a taxi. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just unnecessarily evil. I'm really just so glad that you brought that up because don't, don't wait until you're inebriated to make the decision or the plans decide right now. I'm going to call an Uber. And if you need modern law to buy your Uber, you just expense it and modern law will pay for your Uber because really it is absolutely worth it. 
So think about it right now. Commit to it, Ryan. I think that was brilliant. Good, good parting words of wisdom. Alrighty. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again soon. Until next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.